You're still struggling with temptation? Can I help you with that, please? Please? God's riches at Christ's expense. In Maybe it's not so much what it is, but more of what you think it is. Like a lot of times people say, I'll tell you who really ought to be mad about your sin is uh, the devil really ought to be mad. If he wasn't so happy that you were sinning against that holy God that he hates, if you weren't so busy uh, dishonoring God and discrediting the name of Christ out there, if it wasn't for that, he would be really upset with your sin because you keep blaming it all on him. The devil made me do it. I can't help it. The devil made me do it. We say things like, not today, Satan, as if. Come on. Well, it's temptation, right? I mean, temptation. What am I supposed to do when the forces of temptation uh, attack you? How am I to stand? Oh, but I have my promise in the verse that no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. But he is faithful and will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And along with the temptation, he will also provide a way out that you can stand up under it. We treat temptation as if it is this outward evil force, like temptation is like a, a dart of sin that is trying to hit you and penetrate you. And that sin is trying to get in there. And the way we think of temptation and the way we talk about temptation really is not helpful. Now I'm going to look at a couple different examples of how we talk about temptation, one near and dear to my heart, the other one uh, I just saw for the first time today. So let me start with one near and dear to my heart, and it would be a hymn that we sing that I love, Christ the sure and steady anchor. Just take a quick listen to this just beautiful, beautiful uh, song. Just listen for the word temptation here. Christ the sure and steady anchor, while the tempest rages on, when temptation claims a battle, and it seems the night has won. Did you hear the lyric in there with temptation? Christ the sure and steady anchor, while the tempest rages on. When temptation claims the battle and it seems the night has won, giving temptation a strength as if it is a force that is coming for you. It's a, a, a sinful, evil little uh, dart out there just waiting to be launched at your heart. And oh, it got me. Temptation got me. I am a victim of temptation. Satan, you won the battle today, but we'll fight again tomorrow. I'll confess my sin. I'll go to sleep and I'll fight again tomorrow. That is a really, really wrong use of the word temptation. When temptation claims the battle and it seems the night has won. Fooey. And I'll show you why in just a moment. Okay. Next, let me read you a quote from a book. I'm unfamiliar with this book. Um, it is called The Christian in Complete Armor, Daily Readings in Spiritual Warfare by William Gurnall, edited by James S. Bell Jr., Moody Publishers, Chicago, USA, 1994. This is from April 14th's Daily Reading, and it says this, listen 
for what it says about temptation. Quote, Christian, this is imperative for you to realize. When wicked or unclean thoughts first force their way and force their way into your mind, you have not yet sinned. This is the work of the devil. But if you so much as offer them a chair and begin begin polite conversation with them, you have become his accomplice. In only a short time, you will give these thoughts sanctuary in your heart. You resolve not to yield to a temptation you are already entertaining. It's not so, it's, it is no match for Satan in the longings of the flesh. Okay. Okay. Look, this is why we are losing the battle against sin. Because first of all, we don't acknowledge where sin lies. It lies in the heart of man. Sin is not hitting you externally like an arrow, like this evil arrow, like it says here, wicked or unclean thoughts, first forcing their way into your mind. Come on. It didn't force its way into your mind. It was already in your mind. And, and hold on. I know that you got that little glimmer of a, of a thought of sin, but you haven't entertained that thought yet. So it's not sin yet. You haven't acted, you haven't acted on it. You haven't acted it out. You haven't said and dwelled on that thought of sin until it plays out. Look, so first of all, (laughs) okay, you did not let sin, it didn't force its way into your mind. It was already there. And the first moment that it popped into your head, I'm sorry, but you are wrong when you say that when that sin first comes into your mind, you have not yet sinned. Indeed, you have sinned. You have sinned. And if you continue to dwell on that sin, you will act it out. Okay. This is, this is all because we think wrongly of a couple things, temptation, tests, and sin temptations. Um, we've talked about this in the past. I think we had it on a a podcast, one of the episodes of letters in grace here, August 15th, 2022, I believe. And that's when we were talking about just kind of this, this has kind of been a light bulb thing for me. Like when my wife was saying back in August or whatever, when I heard this podcast, I think differently and I talk differently about sin because this has really opened my eyes. There is not an external force that is attacking you. And she says, well, what about it says a lion roams around seeking uh, a devil's like a lion roaming around seeking, seeking whom he will desire. He doesn't have to roam around seeking for me. I got enough sin in my heart. I'm no problem for him. Here's where the devil uh, would desire to trip you up. There's only two things Satan can do to God. And that's one, keep you from believing and being saved. That's one. Two, for the believer, if you have been saved, he only desires to discredit your testimony, to trip you up, to discredit you and make you useless in the efforts to be a light, to call others, to draw others to Christ. In other words, just keep on sinning. And here's the thing. 
He cannot make you sin. Please understand that. Satan has no power to cause you to sin. And God does not tempt you to sin. When we talk about temptation, I keep explaining it. Think of it as an urge, right? So that's the reason why Christ was tempted in all ways as we are, yet without sin. He was tempted by this external. All temptation is, is just something external that is just stirring up the sin that's already in your heart. The sin is already in you, right? The sin is there. There's just something external that is just bumped up against you and you have had sin stirred up in your heart. And the thing that stirs up the sin in your heart doesn't have to be sinful or evil. For example, if you are someone who struggles with lust and you see a pretty woman, is it a sin to be a pretty woman? Of course not. You have, it's just, you are a woman. You exist. You're minding your own business. You are just a beautiful woman. You're not dressed in any way that's provocative. Nothing that, you know, you're not out there um, aggressively soliciting. So, but when, if you struggle with lust, that lust is already in your heart and you're bumping up against something that is neutral and innocent and doesn't even know you're there and it stirs up lust in your heart. That woman doesn't even know you're there. She has nothing to do, just a neutral, just minding her own business, doing her own thing. But if you see her and you begin to lust for her, that is not temptation. That's not something wicked from the outside that wedged its way in your mind. All it was was just a stimulus in the world that stirred up the sin that is already in you. Please quit being a victim and blaming sin and others in this thing called temptation that you keep saying is wedging its way into your mind. It wasn't my fault. Sin wedged its way into my mind. And, and where I broke down was I entertained the thought. So this comes back to a proper view of our sin, just the utter depravity of the human heart. That is the sin that is indwelling us. So temptation is just an outward stimulus that stirs up the sin that's already in there. It is not an evil force. Okay. It is just the sin that is in you. That's just been stirred up by something external. Quit blaming the world and the devil and everything else and put the responsibility where it lies. You are a sinner with a sinful heart and you need to barricade that door of your heart and don't let sin out. Close the door, put your back against the door and do business with sin. That's why you don't drink alcohol. That opens the front door. That's why you don't do anything that loosens the gate on your heart. Anything that loosens the gate on your heart leaves the front door standing wide open and sin will sprint towards the daylight and it'll come running up out of your heart, up your throat, onto your tongue, and it jumps out and it quickly will, uh, well, not only discredit the name of Christ, but it gives birth to sin, right? It's the tongue, the tongue. Go read James. See what James says about the tongue. What a what, uh, well, the tongue is the heart's little tattletale. 
Okay, so it's not an evil force. Uh, if you want to hear how you triumph over temptation, how you pass these uh, little tests. Now, tests are different. God allows us to be tested, but that is for our sanctification and also to prove. Listen to Dr. John MacArthur talking about triumph over temptation from 1 Corinthians ten thirteen. No, there is no test that is more than we can bear. When we fall and the test becomes a temptation and the temptation becomes a sin, it is not that we are victims, it is that we made bad choices. We chose not to turn to the Word of God, but rather to listen to our own hearts and our own lust enticed us. We chose not to cry out to God and ask Him to lead us away from this and deliver us from evil, but rather we pursued the evil because we wanted the hankerings of our own flesh to be fulfilled. We failed to trust that God had a divine purpose in the test and that we could enjoy the test not for its own sake but for what it yields, and we wanted it immediately removed. We turned away from God, perhaps even angry at Him. And if we failed, it's because we took our attention away from Christ, the faithful high priest who could nurture us through it. There it is. We took our eyes off of Christ. So I, I again, highly recommend that episode. Go to gty.org. And if you go in and you search by scripture, look for Dr. John MacArthur's message, triumphing, uh, triumphing over temptation. Couldn't read my own writing, triumphing over temptation, first Corinthians 10, 13. And I believe it was from like April of 92 or something like that, but definitely highly recommend that one. Let's glorify God here as we bring it all back together. Remember that God is holy, right? He is perfect and perfect without sin and no sin can stand in his sight. And in light of that holiness, we start to see the reality of who we are as mankind. We are sinful and our heart is sinful and it doesn't take much to stir up that sin that is in our heart. In fact, the more we see the holiness of God, the greater we see the depth of our sin and we actually see man and God. We're a lot further apart than we ever thought we were. Like God is a holy magnet that is repelling sin and our sin is a is an unholy magnet that is repelling a holy God. So while God in his holiness repels sinful man and sinful man in their sin repels a, a holy God. And so we are just moving apart from each other until the chasm is so great. Who could ever, ever cross from one side to the other, holy to the unholy or unholy to the holy. But yet God did just that. This great chasm, he sent his holy son to live the perfect life. God made him who knew no sin. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. And what was he like? He was sinless. And so there was no sin nature in here. There was no urge to sin. So when he was tempted in all ways as we are yet without sin, it was because there was no desire to sin in him because he was perfectly righteous. So he has showed us that if you will deal with sin in your heart, that you can withstand, not perfectly, we'll obviously, right? Obviously. And that's why he came. He came 
to be our perfect righteousness. And because we do sin, he came to pay the penalty for that sin and all of God's wrath for every sin poured out on him on the cross that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. Christ was buried. He proved his power over death when he rose from the grave on the third day, ascended into heaven, is seated at the right hand of the Father and will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead and his kingdom will have no end. And in the meantime, what do we do? We worship our holy God who gave his son to be our righteousness and our atonement. He loves us. He paid such a high price to redeem us. And why did he redeem us? So that we would worship him for his own glory. He saved us to worship him. That's what he created us for in the first place. And that's what he's calling you to today, to come back under submission to your creator Come back to your creator. Be in submission to your creator who loves you, created you, and paid the highest price possible to redeem you and to purchase you back out of sin for himself. So now your life, again, belongs to the creator. Don't take that life from him. That's his life. You were built to live for him and to worship him. All right? I have been crucified with Christ. So it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So the life that I now live in the flesh, I live for him who loved me and gave himself up for me. That's Galatians 2.20. This has been Letters in Grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. Letters in Grace.